There we go. There we go. Welcome to the Tuesday Night Bible Study. Those of you that are watching the recording, we just prayed, but you missed that. Anyway, we're here to study the book of 1 Timothy. So I thought I would start off in an unusual way. The following doctrines, 1 Timothy is one of the three pastoral letters or epistles. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, they all start with T, and they're written so that we understand what church government, church operation, church order, who should teach, how should they teach, what should they teach, what are the qualifications for those who teach. And a major theme in this book is the fact that there were many people in the Ephesian church where Timothy was, as an overseer, that were teaching false doctrine. Okay? So, I just thought I'd start in an unusual way. The following are all false doctrines being taught today in churches in America and around the world. Are you ready? So I know that you're awake. Say amen. amen. That was a good one. Those of you on Zoom, wave or say amen. Great. Okay. There is no hell. Annihilationism. There's no hell. There's no suffering for people that don't believe. That's being taught in a lot of churches. All people go to heaven. Universalism is a big church in Chicago with a famous pastor teaching everybody makes it. Jesus wasn't really a man. He appeared to be a man, but it was an illusion. He was just God. Jesus wasn't really God. Wasn't really divine. It's just a man that was specially anointed. You can have whatever you want if you name it and claim it. Those of you that are turning in late that think Joe has lost his mind, I'm, this is a list of false doctrines. Just want to make that clear so you don't go, whoa, mental floss, right? That's what this is. You can have whatever you want by naming it and claiming it, including perfect health, including being rich, which God wants you to be rich. Poverty is a curse. And if you're poor or sick, it's because you don't have enough faith. These are false doctrines. I don't believe any of this, just making it clear. Healing is guaranteed for every believer. All believers are gods. And God used to be a man. And you, if you're a male, you can become a god and reign on your own planet. Some of you recognize that's Mormon doctrine. Um, you must worship on the Sabbath, or not only are you going to hell, but you have the mark of the beast already. The Virgin Mary is to be worshiped, prayed for, and she's the co-redeemer and co-mediator uh, along with Jesus Christ. Hopefully, this is making your hair curl and making you physically sick. That's what I'm going for. These are false doctrines in case you're tuning in late and you think I've lost my mind. Um, let's see. The Jesus Seminar has voted on what parts of the Bible, the New Testament, are actually true and which aren't true by using a series of beads to indicate whether they, these very liberal scholars, believe some things were really true and some weren't true that Jesus said and did especially in the Gospel of John. They voted out, by the way, a lot of the New Testament. Modalism is true. 
There is no Trinity. There once was a guy named the Father, God the Father, who became God the Son. He left heaven. Heaven was empty while Jesus was on earth. And then when he went to heaven, he became the Holy Spirit. These are all uh, T.D. Jakes, all oneness Pentecostals believe that. The Virgin Mary, we already talked about. If you don't speak in tongues, you don't have the Holy Spirit. Um, let's see. Good works and following the Ten Commandments and the Jewish law is what saves you. These are all false doctrines. I'm trying to do this so that a book written 2,000 years ago will seem now a lot more relevant for you and me. The question is, if all those are false doctrines, and they are, then why don't the people in the churches go, wait, what did he say? And the answer is this. They don't know the real Christian doctrine. They don't know the real Bible. And if you don't know that, you can be fooled. People can twist scripture and make it say things you can't imagine being biblical. If I was to say to you, um, I'm going to give you each some money. I'm going to give you a $70 bill, each of you with Hillary Clinton's picture on it. There's no one here that would be fooled because there's no such thing as a $70 bill right? But I bet you I could go to a foreign country where they don't know our currency. You wouldn't have to inspect the bill. You would just say, that, that's so crazy. We need to know what the real is. We need to know what we believe and why we believe it. Okay, now that I've upset everyone, by the way, that was a list of false doctrines. Shall we move on? Okay, brief introduction. Paul writes this book. Here's the situation. Um, Paul has, um, uh, he's the one that led Timothy uh, to Christ. Timothy is half Jewish, half uh, Greek or Gentile. His grandmother and his mother taught him the scripture since he was a little boy. But Paul led all three of them to Christ when he was on one of his missionary journeys. Timothy is a much younger guy. He's timid. And Paul took him with him on several missionary journeys. Um, uh, and Paul considered him his own son in the faith, not literally a blood son, but someone that well, he was a special protege. Timothy considered Paul his mentor, if you will. The situation is they get back to Ephesus and there's a big church there and a series of smaller churches. And Paul sees the need and so he tells Timothy, I want you to stay here because there's so much false doctrine. You got to keep things straight for people. Timothy's a younger guy, as I said, and it's, this is very hard for him. Um, Timothy is, uh, in a sense, the pastor overseeing the churches in Ephesus. Major problem with false doctrine. We'll get into what it is specifically in fact, it's one of the ones on the list, at least. There might be more. Um, let's see. This book is written somewhere between 63 and 66 uh, AD. So Jesus has been gone around 30 years, something like that. Um, pastoral epistles, we talked about that. Um, let's see. Uh, Apostle Paul writes this book. Who's Paul? Very quickly. He used to be called Saul. Paul, the Saul, was a Pharisee, a very decorated and honored 
a religious expert. There was a guy named Gamaliel who lived at that time, older man. Gamaliel had taught Paul Judaism, the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures. Paul was a scholar at these things, okay? Paul became so zealous for Judaism that he saw Christianity and Jesus as a cult, a false religion, so that he became sort of a bounty hunter with the approval of Judea, uh, Jewish leaders, he was going around finding Christians who were teaching Christianity and having them arrested, having them stoned, having them placed in jail, forcing them even to say, Jesus is not Lord. Thinking all the time, I'm doing God a service by crushing out this weird cult of Christianity. He's on the road to Damascus in Acts, uh, right around chapter nine, I think, when God. Christ himself knocks him off his high horse, Saul, and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Even though he's not persecuting Jesus, he's persecuting Christians. He blinds Saul, and eventually Saul becomes a believer, very zealous, not against Christianity, but for it. Amazingly, if you knew Saul, and I had told you Saul's going to become a Christian, you'd say, you're crazy. That's the biggest enemy of Christianity that's ever been. And by grace, he's saved, and he plants more churches pretty much than anybody in the first century. Um, ends up dying for his faith in Rome. Let's dive in, shall we? First Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. In those days when you wrote a letter, you would start it with who you are, and then say, dear so-and-so. So that's why it starts with Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God, our of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. Okay, so he's explaining that he's now, his, God has changed his name. He's now called Paul. The only other stuff we know about Paul that I didn't mention, brilliant man, he writes 13 New Testament books. Some say he wrote Hebrews, which would make it 14. Don't know. Um, brilliant guy, amazing writer. Peter calls Paul's writings in one of the two letters Peter writes, he calls Paul's writings, listen, scripture, which he is. Paul is, in a sense, the last apostle. He saw the risen Christ. Christ himself taught him when he went to Arabia. That's in Galatians 1. So he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. By the way, sometimes it's Jesus Christ, usually. Sometimes it's Christ Jesus. It doesn't make a lot of difference. Um, apostle means sent one, one that is sent with authority. So you, apostle was not an office you could run for, campaign for with signs, or pay your way in. God had to choose you and say, I want you to be one of the people that I'm sending. Paul was known as the apostle to the Gentiles, non-Jews. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command, not suggestion, of God, our Savior. God made him an apostle. Are there apostles today? Not in that sense, not capital A. Apostles wrote scripture. They spoke authoritatively once the last one died out, which was the apostle John, there were no more apostles. Good. Does that mean you're off the hook and you're not sent? Oh, no. We're all apostles in that sense. Small a. Sent to the people you work with, live with, 
neighbors, family, go to school with whoever to spread the word. By the command of, and this is unusual in the New Testament, God, our Savior. Christians always say Jesus, our Savior, right? And he is. But it was God's plan from the beginning to save us. God, our Savior, appears in the Old Testament over and over and over again. He, is he our Savior? Yes, very much so. He's the one that had the plan that sent the Son, right? So it's the command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. So it's as if he's saying, the reason I'm an apostle is there were two that commanded me, God and Christ Jesus. For an Orthodox Jew to say something about God, and then in the same sentence mention someone else with the same verb, meaning the command came from him, God the Father, and Jesus would be considered blasphemy unless Jesus is God himself. Clearly he is. Um, so the command of Christ Jesus, and then he, he ends that sentence with the word, our hope. Our hope of eternity, our hope of eternal life, our hope of his second coming, our hope for heaven and everything, right? Verse two, two, then you say who the letters to, Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. There it is again, both names together, deity of the Lord Jesus again on display. Um, he calls him his true son in the faith. Some of you can relate to this, that you have blood relatives that you're not as close to as you are other Christians who you're not related to in a, you know, last name kind of way. Pretty true thing. My true son in the faith. And then he usually says grace and peace, and he adds the word mercy here, maybe indicating that pastors need more mercy than most. But he says grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father. You know how long the Old Testament is, right? It's two-thirds of your Bible. In the whole Old Testament, God the Father appears only 15 times, and it never speaks of God, my father, or her father, or his father, an individual's ever in the Old Testament. It's always father in terms of Israel or in terms of a, a, a particular king. The idea of a Jew saying God is my father would be considered blasphemous. And we take it for granted that we're sons of the living God because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't miss um, grace. I remember being in a Bible study when I was a new Christian and they were throwing around grace and mercy. And I'm, what is that? Grace. You can use it like an acronym, God's riches at Christ's expense. What it really means is good things that you can't earn or deserve that God didn't owe you, that he just gives you. Free gift. What's peace? You say, you mean peace like the absence of war? Yes. The Bible says that we were at war with God when we were unbelievers. You may not have thought you were, you were against God. Now there's peace vertically. There's also peace internally in terms of tranquility, inner tranquility, outer peace with God. And mercy, mercy's in as close cousin to grace. Mercy is not free stuff that you don't deserve that God gives you. Mercy, is, so that would be good stuff, right? Grace is good stuff God gives you. Mercy is bad stuff, punishment that I do deserve that God withholds because he loves me. 
Do you see the difference? All right. From God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the word kyrios in Greek. They would never use that term for anybody except God unless Christ Jesus is God. So in two verses, we've got proof. Paul believes Jesus is God. Okay. He's going to dive right in. And this is the theme of the whole letter, which is don't wimp out, Timothy. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, Paul was with him in Ephesus and said, Tim, this is a serious condition here. This church needs leadership. You're the guy. You got to stop the false teachers, teach true doctrine, stay here and teach. He's going to reiterate it. Verse three, as I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer. Implying what? They were teaching false doctrines. He's not saying make sure don't, no false doctrines rise up. He's saying tell, make sure those people stop teaching false doctrine. The question arises, oh, wait now, how do we know what's false doctrine and what's real, true Christian doctrine? And the answer is, if I teach you a doctrine or anybody else does, and it can't be backed up with scripture clearly, you, I don't care how well it's put, how eloquent the speaker is, you got to throw it out. Now, another thing about scripture, scripture is a cohesive, integrated message and a unit. What do you mean? I mean, you can't pluck verses out of context and make a doctrine. Okay. Let me give you a scriptural, biblical false teaching. You ready? Because I'm going to pluck two scriptures out of, and it's ridiculous, out of their context. Watch. And Judas went and hanged himself. Is that in the Bible? It is. Okay. Here's another scripture. Go thou and do likewise. <laughs> what? I use scripture. What's wrong with you people? What's the matter with that? I plucked two things completely out of context. What do you mean by context? What was in the paragraph before and the paragraph after? What's the context of the history and the book that you're reading? That's how the Jehovah's Witnesses do it. That's how a lot of others do it. And my false doctrine list, I forgot to say, Jesus Christ is actually Michael, the archangel. Jehovah's Witnesses. Some Seventh-day Adventists teach that. Okay. Let's see. So he's telling him, stay there in Ephesus. Why does he have to tell him stay? He's not a dog, right? Stay. I'll tell you why. Because it's a really tough situation. Timothy's young. He's timid. He's, Paul knows he's going to be tempted. I'm out of here. I'd rather be on the road with you, Paul. Stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer. At this time... There are already several books of the Bible that have been written. There is no such thing as a New Testament Bible. But the books that were written were always copied again and again and again and again and again and read aloud in churches and traveling merchants would come around and go, I have the Ephesian letter and the two Thessalonian letters. And the other guy says, oh, I've got first Corinthians and I've got first Peter and first Timothy. Let me see those and I'll copy them. So that they were widely distributed and widely copied. That's why there are so many manuscripts of the New Testament, more than any other book of that time by a factor of 
probably 500 or more. Okay, stay there. Don't, don't allow the false doctrine. Be, uh, don't let these people teach false doctrines any longer, verse 4, or devote themselves to, now we're going to get an idea what the false doctrines are, myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. So these guys are teaching myths. What does that mean? There's a term for it, extra biblical. I know it's not in the Bible, but there's a story that Jesus, this is true, by the way, that Jesus supposedly, when he was a little boy, he made a bird out of clay and it flew away. Well, is that in the Bible? Well, no, but it's sort of a, a story. Sorry. Next, right? But these guys do what a lot of the false teachers do that are on the radio and television, which is, I've got the new stuff. In the 1970s, a, a Jewish man named Werner Erhard changed his name to Jack something, I can't remember, and started a thing called EST. Does anybody, anybody remember EST? Some of you are nodding. E-S-T, Earhart Sensitivity Training. You would pay big bucks back then. A friend of mine went, and they wouldn't let you go to the bathroom. You couldn't leave the room, and they just would um, bombard you with stuff until you get it. What do you mean it? We have it. It's secret. But you're going to get it. These guys are doing the same thing. I've got the new stuff. Never mind this old boring Bible stuff from 2000 years. I've got the latest. Walter Martin used to say, if it's new, it's probably not true. And if it's true, meaning in the Bible, it's probably not new. So they're teaching myths and endless genealogies. The rabbis wrote um, endless pages and pages and chapters of the names of the genealogies of the Messiah or of people in the Old Testament. And look at all this interesting stuff. What they were doing is majoring in, listen, the minors. Okay. Well, what's the majors? What's the major stuff of Christianity? Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, comes to earth. Yes, it's true. He taught and he healed. That was all extra. He came to do one thing. He came to live the perfect life you and I were supposed to live. He came to die the horrible death you and I deserve. And then by faith, us believing in that, this is the majors, by us believing in that, we are given eternal life, the Holy Spirit living inside of us, and we repent of our sin, and we become God's kids. That's what they should have been teaching and related subjects, faith, hope, love, right? Most important word in the whole Bible, love for God vertically, love for people horizontally, all through the Holy Spirit. These guys are teaching peripheral issues that are really tantalizing and interesting, but they're side issues. They're getting off track, okay? They're not reading between the lines, they're reading outside the lines, if you will. Um, Myths and endless geneal genealogies, such things, I'm still in verse four, promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. 
Stick with the main things, the plain things. How many angels can dance on the head of a pen? Could God, who's all-powerful, make a rock so big and heavy that he couldn't lift it? Who cares? Right? The main things are the plain things. If somebody buys you a brand new Mercedes and pulls up and says, here's the keys, you'd be an idiot to say, what's the chemical makeup of the green paint? Who cares? Get in and drive. Right? Okay. Shall we move on? Um, verse five, the goal of this command, he's saying, what command? The command to stay there, stop the false teaching and teach the truth. The goal of this command, verse five is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Now he's dealing with not the parsley in the meal, the meat, the potatoes, right? The main course. This is a great verse. The goal of this command is love. Do you remember when somebody came up to Jesus and said, what's the greatest commandment? Boil it all down. Do you remember? And he didn't. Do you remember? He didn't boil it down to one. It was two. Do you remember? There was a vertical one and a horizontal one. The vertical one was love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love God in every way. If you do that, the first four commandments, you don't have to worry about. The second one is like unto it. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. If you do that, the other six commandments have to do with horizontal interpersonal relationships. So love is the key word in the Bible. God so loved the world, he gave his son. So the goal of this command, number one, is love. I can't resist saying, I know I say this a lot, apologize already. Love is not an emotion. It can't be. I'll show you why. You're commanded to love your fellow man, right? Some people aren't that lovable. You're commanded to love your enemies. They're surely not lovable. You're commanded to love God, right? If love was an emotion, you can't command an emotion, right? I could tell all of you in this room and those of you on Zoom, okay, everybody, when I count to three, everybody be happy. One, two, three. Now you could go, but you're just faking it. You're either happy or you're not. Emotions are inside. You can't command people to be sad or happy. So what is it if it's not an emotion? It's a verb. It's just something you do. Go eat a sandwich. That's a verb. Go. Love. Even if you don't feel like it, if you don't feel it, I don't really like him. Love him anyway. So the, the goal of the command is love. Specifically in the situation, the goal of this command is love for that congregation because there's a danger the false teachers are going to draw away people to their own little new church they're starting, right? The church of the myths and legends church. And people go, that's so interesting. In love, keep them focused. Remember, a pastor is a shepherd of the sheep, right? Protect them. Okay, the goal of this command is love which comes from a pure heart, not a heart that's doing it for the money or the attention or the self-aggrandizement or the power. It's all being done in love for God's glory with a pure heart, pure motives is what's being spoken of there. Comes from a pure heart and a good conscience. Notice, conscience. Notice he says and, 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 right? There's no comma. It's just and, 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 and. Um, 
love, which comes from a pure heart. And by the way, there's something you can try to do and you're never going to do it. Go ahead, have a pure heart, have nothing but pure motives. Unless the Holy Spirit is in you to change you from the inside out, you're liable to be your old sinful self, right? Only he can give you a pure heart with pure motives. A good conscience. What's a conscience? A conscience is a built-in thing in every human being. Romans 2 talks about conscience, that everybody's got one. You say, doesn't look that way. Drive-by shootings, you know, that guy has a conscience. Listen, a conscience is the God-implanted um, will and morality that is in all people. But if you ignore it, and disobey it enough, the voice, don't do that, ends up being, don't do that, until it's, don't do that. And you barely hear it. You can sear your conscience, cauterize it to where it's burned to the point it becomes dull. People that are sleeping around or selling drugs or killing people, hit men. Years ago, when this church, this Bible study was at another church, a guy came for about a year who was for real an ex-professional hitman in Los Angeles, killed people and got paid. Wow. Talk about conscience, right? So when we have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is a louder conscience and truer conscience. Okay, so who are these people that should be teaching um, the goal of the command? Love, pure heart, good conscience. Okay, now why is this important? Because false teachers and enemies of the church are always looking for, oh, Jeff's going to be the leader of that church, huh? Let's look into his past and dig up the dirt on him. The point is, if he's got a good conscience, you might dig up dirt from 30 years ago, probably, right? You could on me for sure. Not now. A good conscience mean he's, he's, means he's obeying God. But what about those 30-year-old sins? Isn't, isn't that on his conscience? Isn't he always feeling guilty? No. You know why? Christ paid for those sins, right? He remembers them to remember never to do it again, but his conscience is clear. That's why we have to live very, those, and especially in positions of leadership, very above board lives so that they don't, you don't give them a nail to hang you on, basically, right? Um, love pure heart, good conscience, and a sincere faith, which implies there's such a thing as an insincere faith. Why would that be? You're either faithful or you're not. No, there's people that are in the faith business for money. That's an insincere faith. That's why they're in it, right? The guy in Houston with the big, he bought a stadium and he blinks a lot and his initials are Joel Osteen. There's a, oh, did I say his name? Sorry. We'll get to names in a second. Um, by the way, this list of false doctrines, he's got three or four on that list. Um, yeah, so sincere faith, good conscience, pure heart, love. Verse six, some have departed from these. He's talking about the false teachers. Some have departed from these, from what? From a pure heart, from love, from a good conscience from the sincere faith and have turned to meaningless talk, meaningless babble, 
one translation has. These people have turned away from the truth and turned to meaningless talk, not for the sake of the meaningless blah, blah, blah. They're trying to get people into their little cult or ism or whatever. Most of the cults in the United States, there's over 5,000 cults in the U.S. that call themselves Christian, okay? Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, Christian science, religious science, I could go on and on and on and on. What they have in common, listen, the false doctrine, virtually every one of them demotes Jesus in some way. Now, he's, he's an angel. He's not a creator, Jehovah's Witnesses. He's the angel Michael. He's not the creator. He's not God with a capital G. He's God with a small g, whatever that means, right? Mormonism. Jesus is the spirit brother of Lucifer, the devil. What? Right? That's in the book of Illusions, chapter four, right? Anyway, when you know the real truth, you laugh at these things just like you laugh at the $70 bill with Hillary Clinton's picture right? But you'd be surprised. The cults get most of their membership from, are you ready? People that go to church, not the unchurched people that never go. It's people that go to church that don't really know faith from hope, from love, from Jesus, from Moses, etc. Some have departed from these and turned to meaningless talk. They want, verse 7, to be teachers of the, here's another hint, law. We'll talk about that in a second. But they don't know what they're talking about or what they so confidently affirm. Imagine if I said, I'm going to introduce to you a, a teacher now, but he doesn't know what he's talking about um, or what he's so confidently going to dogmatically affirm. It's ironic, isn't it? Okay, the word law is in there. When you see law in the Bible, it usually means the Old Testament law including but not limited to the Ten Commandments. You know, the Ten, they're not suggestions, they're commandments, right? So God, did God give the Ten Commandments to Moses and to the Jews? Yes. Were they really his Ten Commandments? Yes. Were they his code for how the Jews were supposed to live? Yes. Okay, so what's wrong with these guys teaching the law? Nothing until they say, by obeying the law, that's how you get God's favor. That's how you're saved. Judaizers is what they were. They were teaching that, yes, praise God. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah, he was the Messiah. Yeah, he died and rose from the dead. But you got to be Jewish. You got to convert to Judaism. You got to be circumcised, gentlemen. And you got to keep the whole Old Testament law. You can't have a ham sandwich because that's pork and that's an unclean food. You can't have a hamburger with cheese on it because that's a dairy product with a meat product. Old Testament can't mix those two things. You got to live that whole Old Testament law. That's what they're adding to the gospel. Yes, Jesus is all well and good. We need to go back to the Old Testament. So the question arises, are Christians under law? Old Testament law or not. First of all, it's important to note that there are 10 commandments and nine of them are repeated as commands in the New Testament. 
one is not. Anybody know which one? Russell? Uh, you still remember the Sabbath. Very good. Russell gets an A. The Sabbath is not repeated as a command for believers. In fact, there's ample evidence that the early church clearly worshiped on Sunday, the first day of the week. It's the day Jesus rose. The day Jesus appeared week after week to his disciples after he rose from the dead. Can you worship on Saturday? Sure. You can worship Tuesday night with the weirdo with the mustache teaching Bible study if you want. But you can't say dogmatically, no, you got to worship on Saturday. But it's okay if you want to. Paul talks about this in Romans and says, let each person be fully convinced in his own mind. If you really believe, go for it on the Sabbath. But don't judge me if I worship Sunday or Tuesday. Okay. The other thing to know about the law is that there were three branches of it. There was the ceremonial law. This is how you are to wash your hands. These are the foods that you're supposed to eat. This is how you sacrifice a lamb. And the, all of that ceremonial law is out the window. I'll show you that for Christians. Okay. Then there was the civil law. Stuff like laws that we have on the books in our government. For example, if Jeff here steals Ken's sheep, he is to repay him fourfold or whatever the case may be. If Ken accidentally kills his, you know, son, God forbid, or somebody, then there's punishments for Ken. That's the civil law. We don't live in a theocracy anymore. We will when God Christ returns, but for now we don't. That part is out the window, which leaves the moral law. So the question is, what about those other nine commandments? Thou shalt not steal. See, Jesus doesn't care if you steal. Oh no, he does. It's a moral law. Nine out of 10 are repeated. Okay. The point is, so if I can live up to those nine laws, can I go to heaven? No, because you have to be perfect without sin. What if you screw up just a little? That's enough to keep you out of heaven. James says, if you break one part of the law, you're guilty of breaking all of it. Still a broken window. Okay, well, then there's no hope for anybody. Correct. Correct? Yes. That's why you need a savior, right? Enter Jesus who lives the perfect life, keeps the law 100%, dies to pay our price for our sins and offers us his righteousness. It's the most awesome deal in the world. These guys are teaching that you got to have the Old Testament law. You got to keep all those commandments. You got to um, absolutely obey all that stuff. Um, I'm not going to do it now. Well, yeah, I will do it when we get to verse eight. So I might as well do it now. But let's see. Um, they don't know what they're talking about and what they're so confidently affirming. All right, let's read verse eight and then we'll do the little detour and then we'll take a break. Are you still awake? Say amen. Amen. Good. You guys on Zoom, you okay? Amen. Verse eight. Now he's going to talk about what about the law, Paul? We know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. It's a little pun. It's a play on words. The law is good if you use it properly, lawfully, full of law, for the, in the way at which it was intended. Okay? I want you to think of the law as something like an x-ray or an MRI. We've got at least one person in the medical profession here. I'm sure there may be others. Can an x-ray heal you? MRI? No. Well, they're important, yes. 
So I've got my x-ray here and it shows tumors in my lung. Maybe if I rub the x-ray on my, no? What's the purpose of the x-ray? To show the problem, okay? You can't eat the x-ray and it's not medicine. It just makes you aware there's a problem in your health. I'm thankful for x-rays and MRIs, right? You catch things early, you can treat them or treat them when it's late, whatever. But an x-ray doesn't heal you. In the same way, the law, I'm going to show you some verses after the break, is there to show you what God expects. And all it does is show you, you have a problem. You're stealing or you're lying or you're lusting or you have other gods or you're coveting or you, we could go on and on, right? That's all it does. It's an x-ray. You got a problem. Jesus spends Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, all to show the Jews you can't keep the law. You need a savior. You can't do it. And he gives them really pushing the envelope examples. You've heard it said that you shall not murder. But I say to you that if you even say to your brother, you fool, you've already murdered him. Because that's where it starts up here. You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that if you even look on a person of the opposite sex to lust after them, you've already done the deed. It starts up here. So He's giving that sermon so they'll throw up their hands and go, well, forget it then. We can't keep the law. And he would say, right on. Now you are what the beginning of Matthew 5 says. Blessed, listen to this, are the poor in spirit. The ones that know spiritually, I'm bankrupt. I can't do it. That's when you're open to these guys teaching the law aren't. They think they're spiritually rich. I'm keeping the law. We're going to see that they're also doing some pretty sinful behavior. Let's take our two-minute break, and then we're going to come back and do a little detour. Don't go away. I'll be back in two minutes. Just going to turn my screen off. There we go. Welcome back to the Tuesday Night Bible Study. We are back in 1 Timothy, and most of us are awake, and that's a good thing. I know that I am, just barely. Okay, so the law teaches you what sin is. I want you to know that it is not open to a vote. In other words, what if a majority of Americans said no, um, getting drunk is not a sin? Or if a majority of Americans said murder's not a sin? The Supreme Court said that, right? Um, with abortion, but that's another subject. So the point is, God doesn't change. It's not open to cultural wealth. Times have changed. Sin is sin. Whether it's now, 2,000 years ago, or 2,000 years from now, what God wants is right. I want you to know that the law is given for our own good, because societies benefit when the law is followed, when people live Christian lives. It's for our own good. But the law just exposes where we fail and what God wants that we can't do. It creates the need for a savior. It's the x-ray. It's the MRI. That's using the law properly. Um, the law confronts the sinner, but can't convert or change the sinner. Two different things. Um, 
So when we talk about the law, we're going to take a detour or two in a second. Um, in fact, let's do that. Um, yeah. Uh, let's see. Do we want to go on to verse? Mm -hmm. Let's go to verse nine and then we'll take our detours. Verse nine. We also know that the law, Old Testament law, all those commands, Old Testament to the Jews, is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those who practice homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God, which he entrusted to me. Yes, that's all one sentence, and I ran out of breath. Boy, that was some evil stuff going on there. Did you see that big long list? Paul has about 10 of these lists in his books of sinful behavior. This is just one of them. It's not exhaustive. You can't say, well, my sin isn't in there, so it's okay. The point is the law is for those people, okay, to convict them, to show them. In other words, think of it as disease. Those sinful people that are living perpetually in sin need an x-ray that shows them, look, Here's the tumor in your life. You're lying perpetually, or you're living with somebody outside of wedlock, or you're doing something, getting drunk every night, using drugs every day. The point is, the law is not made for the righteous, but for law breakers. We're going to look at those lists in a minute, but let's take a detour right now. Go to Romans from here, take a left. And I'm going to say it's 10 books to the left, it might be 12. Go to Romans chapter three. If you can't find Romans, that's all right, but you won't get an A for tonight's class. Romans 3, and we want verse 20 and verse 28. Um, we'll look at, pick it up in Romans 3, verse 19. Now, we know what, that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable aware of their sin, held accountable to God. Look at verse 20. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. You can't observe the law to the point that God says, all right, she's holy. He's holy. I owe her now. I owe him. Rather, through the law, we become what? Conscious of sin. Through the x-ray, we become conscious of the disease. Every human being is born, you've heard it HIV positive. Every human being is born SIN positive. Sin, every human being. The law exposes it, okay? Now go to same chapter, verse 28. For we maintain that a man is justified, saved by faith, apart from observing the law, apart from not You don't get there by eating kosher food or not eating kosher food, apart from observing the law. Um, okay, now let's see where else do we want to go. Galatians. So from Romans, take a right and go three books. Past the two Corinthian books, Galatians. Why do I give directions? Because I went to a Bible study when I was a new Christian, and man, they were flipping around that Bible, and I was so lost. It was, I was in Ephesians, and they were reading Isaiah. I'm like, who's Isaiah? right? Okay. Galatians chapter, the whole book of Galatians, by the way, is written to believers with the same problem. They think, 
I got to keep the law and believe in Jesus. He's telling them, he's telling Jews, by the way, Hebrews is the same. He's telling Jewish Christians to stop being Jews and just be Christians. Galatians 2, look at verse 16. I'm on the wrong page. Galatians 2, 16. Know that a man is not justified by observing the law, by, by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Because he did fulfill the law, he did die for your sins, therefore no law. The question arises, though, and Paul covers it in Romans, oh, so we're not under law, so we can sin as much as we want. Cool. No. First of all, if you're saved, you would not want or think that, right? Um, because of grace, some people think, I'll just sin all that I want. No, we want to obey Jesus Christ and not lie and not sin and not lust and not steal. Listen, if you remember nothing else, remember this. We don't obey God's commands to get his favor or to get heaven. We already have heaven. We already have eternal life. We already have his favor. Well, then why bother obeying God? Number one, because we love him and we want to please him. Do you love someone? You want to please that person, don't you? I went to the ballet when I was dating my wife. I don't like ballet at all. I love my wife. I went. You want to please God because he's shown you so much love. Listen, we don't obey to get God to love us. We obey in gratitude for, in response to the unbelievable stuff he's given us. We owe him everything. That's why we obey. We also obey because he says, this is good for you. Don't do these things. If everybody obeyed the adultery laws, listen, there would be no sexually transmitted diseases in the world, right? None. All of God's laws are for our benefit. Romans 10, I meant to go there. Go back to Romans. You say, you're a little scattered tonight. Yes, I am. Romans 10. What about the law? Romans 10. Four, Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. The end of the law. So we've already talked about that. There's so many other verses we could go to. Um, do we want to go there? No, because we already did that. Okay, we're moving on. Are you still awake? Say amen. amen. Oh, Galatians 2.21. Did we already read that one? Gene is saying Galatians 2, 21. So I'm turning there now. I'll hear me, Gene. <laughs> I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, good point. Christ died for nothing. If you could get there on your own by obeying, why did he die that horrible death, right? He died that horrible death because there's no other way men can be saved. There's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. Go back to 1 Timothy chapter one. So let's look at this list of sinners, shall we? The law is not made for the righteous, verse nine, but for, he starts out with two general terms, law breakers and rebels, okay? These are people that ignore the law and just go ahead and do whatever they want. If it feels good, do it. What is right and what is wrong? Well, you could have a debate in society forever on that. 
Thank God we have God's word on what is right and what is wrong. If you took a vote, they'd water this down big time, wouldn't they? So there are law breakers and there are rebels, those that just rebel against the law. And then the ungodly and the sinful. The ungodly are God ignorers, which is cosmic treason, by the way. The one that created the universe and you, and we have the audacity to ignore him and be ungodly. And then sinful is a general term just for someone that's living a perpetually sinful life. The word in Greek is hamartia, H-A-M-A-R-T-I-A. I use it when I'm witnessing to people because sin, you say sin and they people roll their eyes, oh, sin. Oh, here we go. So I say to people, have you noticed that there's so much wrong with the world? Yes, you'll get, you'll get atheists to agree with you on this. Yes, there's murder. There's injustice. There's people slapping each other at the Academy Awards. There's, there's child, child abuse. There's stealing. That's why there's locksmiths. There's, and, and you have to have a password on your stupid account on your computer because people will steal your stuff. Yes, there's so much wrong with the world. Yes, all of that is hamartia. Ooh, new word. Tell me more. Hamartia is all of those things and more. It's all injustice. It's racism. It is anything that one person does to another that is not right. Oh, I like that. By the way, it means sin. Oh, you know, they kind of, <laughs> but it's true, right? There's such a thing. And so, sinful. Um, that's where we left off. The unholy and irreligious, the profane, one translation has, those that in that culture, even pagans, when they were doing religious rites, would kick some people out who were just so irreligious. You have to leave. We're doing this now. We're serious about it. So unholy. Holy means to be set apart for God, for his purpose. Um, for those who kill their fathers or mothers. You say, whoa, that was a big jump. In King James, it's father strikers and mother strikers, those who hit their parents in order to kill them. By the way, that's one of the 10 commandments, honor your father and mother. Does God still want you to do that? Yes. It's one of the other nine, right? Sabbath is out. The others are all moral, vertically or horizontally. Um, father or mother murderers. It's an extreme, I'll admit. Okay, these are the people for whom the law is written to show them their x-ray of their soul, that there's something really wrong and they need to correct it. When they come to the point that they say, I can't stop doing it, whatever it is, that's when they're poor in spirit. They realize they're spiritually bankrupt and God can get a hold of them. For verse 10, the sexually immoral, that's a general category. That would include, um, of course, adultery, which is one of the Ten Commandments. It would include the next one, which is homosexuality. Pornography would certainly be in this category, right? Remember Jesus's take on the law, adultery. Have you ever looked at another person with lust in your heart? Some of you are nodding. Some of you are liars. But anyway, <laughs> the point is, the, the law reveals this, um, practicing homosexuality for slave traders. This is sellers of men. 
in, in the original language. People that would do human trafficking, kidnapping. Is that happening today? More than ever. There's a guy that goes to our church who does for a living around the world the sex trafficking thing, the slavery thing. Um, he was telling me that the there are whole industries that are slaves do it. One is batteries for the lithium for computers, phones, is all slaves for, you know, no money. And the, it's unbelievable. Another one, believe it or not, you're going to hate me for this, chocolate. Cocoa is a, a huge slave trade thing. I won't go into it or tell you who he is, but he goes to our church. Okay. Um, slave traders. Um, there's a verse in Deuteronomy that says that if you steal another person in order to sell them, or you're in possession, I sold my little slave guy to Russell here. If he's in possession of it, or I sold the guy, we're to be put to death. Very serious thing. Man's made in the image of God, etc., etc. Okay, so here's one of his many lists of sinners. And then he uses a broad term. And for whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. That's pretty broad, isn't it? Again, how do you know what sound doctrine is? Doctrine is the things that we believe, okay? For example, let's say you go to a church and they preach Jesus Christ, and you meet somebody who says, yeah, I believe in Jesus, and you say, tell me about your Jesus, and he says, well, he used to be Abraham Lincoln, and now he's a giant rabbit. That's what I believe. I have the right to my belief. Yes, you do. But if it wasn't for the Bible, how could you correct the person? He's not a rabbit. He wasn't Abraham Lincoln. See how we can get off in a million tangents. There's a famous singer who has a song out and a perfume by the same name. You ready for the name? God is a woman. You ever heard of this? God is a woman. Wrong. Sorry. Thanks for playing. You don't win. How do you know that? Because God's not a man either. He's spirit, right? We use the male pronoun, but anyway, all kinds of doctrine, sound doctrine, you cannot know it innately. You ever meet these people? We have neighbors that are like this. I commune with God. I learn about God by hugging the trees, walking in the forest, walking at the ocean. Hey, I love the ocean, man. That's you're looking at the painting. You'll never get to know the painter without the Bible. So sound doctrine is not just heady stuff for intellectuals. It's important because the only reason you laughed at the $70 bill with Hillary's picture is because you know what real American money looks like, don't you? If I brought in Yugoslavian money or money from Belarus, I bet I could fool you because you don't know that money, right? Maybe they have a $70 bill or a $3 bill. Okay. Sound doctrine, verse 11, that conforms to, conforms to something. What is it? The good news, the gospel. That's what good news means. Gospel means concerning the glory of the blessed God, which he entrusted to me. Now here he equates the gospel, which is what we always say is the whole idea that Jesus condescended to come down in human flesh, live 
the perfect life, die sacrificially for you and me, even though we couldn't care less before we were believers. He died for us. He rose from the dead, ascended to heaven. That's the gospel. And by believing in him, we can have eternal life, become alive. Again, the Holy Spirit dwells in us, all of the above. He calls it beautifully the, the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God. This is really interesting. The glory, the shining forth, the, the absolute beauty of the blessed God. Now, blessed, blessed or blessed has several meanings, but do you know what one of them is? I heard a whole sermon on this. Happy. Blessed is the man. That means happy is the man who obeys God or whatever. Now read that in context that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the happy God. Sounds almost silly, but it's not. He is the blessed God. And there's great glory in the fact that instead of ignoring humanity, instead of punishing every single human being that ever lived, which by the way, he could have, and he would have been totally fair doing so, right? If he punished every human being that ever lived, which human being could say that wasn't fair. I'm not a sinner. Who? Nobody, right? You ever hear people say, I want what I deserve from God? No, you don't. No, you don't. I don't want what I deserve. Jesus took what I deserve when he died that bloody death, right? Okay. The gospel, the good news, Christianity is good news. We ought to be smiling. We ought to be happy about the glory of the gospel. It's the glory. It's God's glory that he would love us enough to send his son to die. No wonder he's happy because Christ brings billions to a saving relationship, right? And the gospel was entrusted to Paul, he says, which he entrusted to me. Do you see that there? He doesn't mean that exclusively. I got news for you. It was entrusted to the other apostles. It was entrusted to the prophets in a lesser extent. They didn't fully understand it, but Isaiah prophesied about a Messiah that would be born of a virgin. Uh, Micah uh, and Malachi, I think it is, say, born in Bethlehem, but we have been entrusted the gospel just as much as Jesus Christ, as much as Paul, sorry. What do you mean? I mean, we've been entrusted with that knowledge. We're supposed to learn it. That's why you're here, or you're here on Zoom, but we're also supposed to share it, give it away, right? When you do, don't expect everybody to be, yes. I've been waiting to hear this. Most people will go, get lost, right? Does that slow you down? Like Timothy, you want to go be with Paul and forget it, I'm leaving. Timothy's got a, a really hard assignment. Paul's saying, hang in there in your work. It conforms to the gospel. Sound doctrine does. How do you know? In the Bible. We could do a whole separate program and we won't on I've done a sermon, this sermon at one, two, three churches. How do you know that the Bible is true and inspired? How do you know? Because here we are, Bible, Bible, Bible. Wait, hasn't the Bible been changed over the centuries? Aren't there a lot of con contradictions? Aren't there a lot of mistakes? Didn't they take reincarnation out of the Bible? Wasn't it in there? And they Listen, there's so much manuscript evidence for this book. It's astounding. It's as if God made sure it was an ironclad case. 
maps at the back of every bible you ever notice there's maps how many have heard the acronym maps i love acronyms helps me remember m for the manuscript evidence uh 6, ancient greek manuscripts of portions of or large sections of the new testament old testament there's a ton more new testament copied and copied and copied and copied okay manuscripts that's good so they all agree? No. Oh, they don't. Hmm. So there's variations and yes, 99.5% of the variations are spelling mistakes, word order, Christ Jesus, this one says, but this one says Jesus Christ. Is that a substantive difference? No doctrine is ever affected by any of the manuscripts, um, the differences in the manuscripts. A is for archaeology. Do you know that archaeology has never, ever disproved a single thing in this book, but it has proved a bunch of stuff people thought, well, there's no evidence for, I'll give you an example. Until 19, I think it's 64, there was no evidence anywhere on planet Earth that Pontius Pilate was a dude that really existed. And they unearthed, an archaeologist unearthed um, part of a pillar from a building that said Pontius Pilate, in, not in this language, in Greek, procurator of uh, I think Judea. What do you know? The Bible is right. The skeptics were wrong. Okay. M, manuscript evidence. A, archaeology. I got to go faster. P, predictive prophecy. If this book is not God's, then you explain to me how there's thousands of predictions in here that came to pass exactly. The Messiah was to be born of a virgin, born in uh, Bethlehem, have his side and hands and feet pierced, rise from the dead. He'll be crucified. He won't have a single bone broken. He'll be betrayed by a close friend for 30 pieces of silver, and they'll use the silver, which will be thrown into the temple and used to buy a potter's field. He'll rise from the dead on the third day. All these things and 330 prophecies Jesus fulfilled in the time he was on the earth. Lucky guesses? Impossible. Who else could it be but this one figure in human history? One more thing about prophecy before we move on. I want you to notice that the Bible prophecies are specific. Let me make a prophecy for each of you now. Okay, this is a joke. Most of you in the next week are going to see a white car. Pretty good. Come on, that's so stupid. It's general. What if I told you the license number and where you were going to see it and when? Would you be impressed? I would. Wow but a white car. These aren't white car prophecies, are they? Okay, maps, ma manuscript, archaeology, prophecy, S, statistical probability. What are the chances you could get 40 different authors, most of which never knew each other, over a period of 1,500 years, writing on three continents in three languages, and write a book in 1,500 years' time that has one cohesive message the redemption of mankind through the shedding of innocent blood of the savior impossible okay most of you aren't awake but that's okay i am i'm gonna keep going the 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 happy god we should be happy people and make god happy by obeying obeying amen verse 12 i thank christ jesus our lord who has given me strength 
that he considered me trustworthy. This is Paul talking, appointing me, choosing me for his service. So he's thanking Christ Jesus, our Lord. Same word used in the Old Testament for God, meaning Jesus Christ is fully God, fully man, two natures. He's thanking Jesus who has given him strength. Do you remember? This is the same guy that wrote Philippians. I think it's for uh, 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Same author, right? Um, so he's thanking Christ Jesus, our Lord. Christ means Messiah, Christos in Greek, Mashiach in Hebrew. It means Messiah, Jesus. Jesus is the man's name. Christ is not a, uh, it's a title. It's not a last name, obviously. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord. Lord means master, boss, who's given me strength. Have you felt that way? That he gave you strength when you needed it? When you need strength, when you're weak, do you pray, Lord, please give me strength? How about this one? We're thinking physical strength, aren't we? How about this one? Boy, I'm really under temptation right now, God. I don't want to do this thing, but I, I can feel myself weakening. Please give me strength to resist the temptation. Give me strength to obey you. I thank Christ Jesus who's given me strength. He considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Why is this in here? Is it all about me, 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 Paul? Listen, he's trying to show Timothy all the reasons why he better stay there. It's needed. I'm going to go through the list eventually, probably next week, not now. But one of the reasons is this. We serve an awesome God. That's what we're doing. It's not for his own thing, Timothy, your thing, my thing. We're serving an awesome God. He gives strength. He considered me trustworthy, Paul says, and he must consider you trustworthy. Don't break his trust. Stay there with these false teachers. He appointed me to his service. He says, verse 13, even though I was once, now here's where the grace comes in and you see how awesome God was and is. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. He's saying, and really these two sentences almost should be reversed. He should have told us this first, then we would understand how amazing it is that he considered Paul trustworthy. Paul considers himself the worst sinner in the universe. He says it in more than one place, including here. You'll see in a second. I was once a blasphemer. What's blasphemy? To blaspheme is to say something about God that is not true. To say that something that is God, Jesus Christ, isn't. Or to say this music stand is God when it's not. To bow down to anything else except the true God is blasphemy. Okay? very serious sin. Paul admits, I didn't blaspheme here and there. I was a blasphemer. That was his job, so to speak, right? It characterized him. He went around saying, Jesus is not the Savior. He's not the Lord. He didn't rise from the dead. You people that are worshiping him are worshiping Satan. I'm going to have you arrested. I'm going to kill you. Remember when Stephen is stoned, not in the 70s and 60s cents, stoned with large rocks, and killed, Paul's there holding the coats of those doing it in full approval. That's right, he's a Christian, and he needs, to, he needs to die. He calls himself a blasphemer and a persecutor. He went after 
Christians to persecute them. And a violent man. Just an astounding thing. Listen, Paul is forgiven of those things. That's why he's trustworthy. But he never forgot what he was. Never. And we need to do the same thing. We can't dwell on our sin. I used to do this and that. But we ought to remember, praise God, he freed me from those things. I know at least one person in this room did a lot of the crazy, sinful things I did, and he is very grateful. Um, even though he was those things and more, I was shown mercy. What did we say mercy was? But God withholding the punishment he deserves. Man, did Paul deserve punishment, Saul, for persecuting Christians. Remember, Jesus says, why are you persecuting me. I take it personally. These are my children. But I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. He was doing it thinking he was doing service to God. By the way, we're going to read eventually that in the last days, people will persecute Christians thinking they're doing service to the true God. It's coming. Um, he acted in ignorance and unbelief. You say, well, what, what difference does that make? Was it still a sin, those things? Absolutely. But it's a little less of a sin, in a sense, because he didn't know. But he should have. You say, what do you mean by that? This is a guy, Paul, memorized much of the Old Testament, including Bethlehem, from you will come a savior, you know, um, the, all the scriptures I've been telling you about, Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, which talks about the savior and the cross and what have you. He should have known, but he acted in ignorance and in unbelief. Verse 14, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly. You can picture somebody with a giant jacuzzi size, hot tub size bucket pouring out. Even though Paul was pouring out blasphemy, persecution, violence. What's the point of all this, Joe? He's writing this to Timothy to say, look what I was. Look what God did for me. Do you see now, Timothy, how much we owe him everything? The grace, now remember what grace is, good things that you don't deserve. You can't earn. God doesn't owe it and he gives it to you. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly. Remember Psalm 23, my cup runneth over. Along with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. Don't miss that sentence that the verb is poured out. Look, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me. You got it? What was poured out on him? Grace. What else was poured out with him? What do you mean? Along with faith. Do you see that? You say, wait, no, Paul had the faith. Listen, grace was poured out on him. Picture the big bucket pouring down grace on me, stuff that I don't deserve that's good, given to me by God. Now in the same sentence with the same verb poured out, what else was poured out on him? Faith. No, no, no. Faith is something that we conjure up ourselves. Wrong. Romans says, unto each believer, listen, is given a measure of faith. 
Do you know you can't even take credit? I can't even take credit for the faith I have. Who gave you the faith you have? God. But faith is a muscle, don't forget. And the more you use it, the more it grows. The more you neglect it, it atrophies. But where did you get your faith? I conjured it up. I'm very spiritual. Eh, wrong again. God poured out not only grace, what else? Faith. What else? Love. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts, the scripture says. Where did you get the love for God? Where did you get the love for your fellow human beings that you're supposed to have? God gives it all. Do you see why Christians say salvation is a work of God from the very beginning to the very end? It's all God. You and I were drowning in the middle of Bass Lake. For those of you that live in another state and go, what's Bass Lake? It's a lake near here. We were drowning in the middle of Bass Lake, okay? And Sam back there swam out and saved us. We didn't know how to swim. We would have drowned completely. And he dragged us to the shore. And we weren't really helping either. We were kicking and screaming, punching him in the face at one point, like Will Smith. And we brought him, he brought us to the shore. And then we want to claim some credit for that. Well, I helped. Really? God saved you. We owe him everything. Okay. Quit bidding the dead horse, Joe, and move on. All right. What was poured out? Grace, faith, love, all in Christ Jesus. Verse 15. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That's a way of saying, listen up. This is really, really important. Okay. Similar things are Jesus in the gospels. Truly, truly, I say to you, verily, verily, I say to you, when you see that, that's, listen up, this is very important. There's one in Revelation too. Did you ever notice there? It's he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit said. That's a way of saying, this is really important. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. By the way, in the pastorals, I think he says this five or six times, that, that phrase. What is it? Christ Jesus came into the world to heal people, teach. He did, but that wasn't the primary thing. What was the primary thing? To save sinners of whom I am the worst. Now, we're almost out of time, but I want you to listen. Christ came into the world to save sinners. The first few times I read that, it was kind of like, yeah, duh, right? But this is important. You can't save a sinner until the sinner knows he's a sinner and needs a savior. Just like me uh, drowning in the middle of Bass Lake, if Sam swims out to save me and I say, get lost, you jerk, I'm going to die. I have to say, help, blah, 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 right? I need help. And then he, that's how he knows I need help. In the same way, Jesus came to save sinners. We have to know that we're sinners and need a savior or we'll never get saved. These false teachers are teaching we're not sinners. We're keeping the law. We are good. Are they? They know very little, don't they? We're going to quit for right now and uh, we'll pick it up next time right where we left off. Do invite someone, those of you on Zoom, I'm going to make you feel guilty now. If you can, you live in the area at least 30 miles away or less, 
and can show up in person, we'd much rather have you in person. That way we can shake your hand and give you a hug. Anyway, if you can't, I totally understand. Let's pray and we'll get out of here. Thank you, Father, for this time we can spend in your word, God. What an awesome book this is. Help us to know, and we're going to do that in this Bible study on Timothy, what we believe and why the scriptures to back it up so that we know the real. And when we see a counterfeit, we will never be fooled. And then we want to know where it is in your word. And we want to not be fooled by false teachers, false doctrines. Give us that love, God, that you have uh, for ourselves, for your kingdom and for you and for your sheep, for other believers. You've shed it in our hearts, but we haven't been using it, uh, nor the faith, uh, as we should. Help us to do so, God. That list of sinners, some of us had our feet pinched on that one, God. Some of us were some of those things. Help us to never return to that lifestyle or live in that sin again, but to repent, not to earn your favor, but because we're so grateful for what you've given us and done for us. We want to please you because we love you. You've changed us. May we live the lives that you want us to and that we would be shining witnesses for you, spreading this gospel, this good news. Thank you for this time, God. We pray all these things in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for being here. Those of you that are here in person, make sure you say hello to someone in this room that you don't know. Very important. Those of you that are here on Zoom, God bless you. So hope to see you next week. God bless.